Welcome to the final chat of our month-long series talking to the makers, growers, farmers and families who just happen to make the best raw milk cheese in Australia. My name is Dan Sims and today's podcast is a recording from the live Instagram chat I had with Kim Masters from Section 28 Cheese in the Adelaide Hills, South Australia. Talking with Kim and tasting this cheese, it's incredible to imagine that Section 28 is just over five years old. The qualitative impact they've had has been swift to say the least. Here we discuss not only his cheese, but his raw milk influence and how and what raw milk cheese may be in the future in Australia. Yes, there are indeed some curtain moments, but it's well worth it. This was a brilliant conversation to run out of the month, and whilst we know here at Mole we only scrape the surface, we do hope that this has helped you better understand where raw milk is in Australia and how you can play a significant part in this as well. But for now, let's get into it. Kim Masters, welcome to our the final Instagram live chat. Uh, mate, uh, how are you going? Good, good. Hey, um, congratulations, Victoria, as well. We've uh, we've been rooting for you. Is that the right word? Rooting for you from this side. Uh, it's uh, it's an amazing vibe. I've got to say, you know, it's uh, it, look, it's been tough. We took one for Team Australia, um, but we're through. We're on the other way. We're on the other side now. So this is the uh, this is the good part. This really is the good Excellent. part. Um, have you got yourself a drink? I have. Adelaide Hills Pinot, BK you... Wines. <laughs> yeah, BK, absolute legend. Big, uh, big fan of his wines for our sister event, uh, Pinot Palooza. Uh, we're big fans of his and we've just got him in our Pinot Palooza 12-track pack, uh, which we uh, launched last week, uh, which is awesome fun. Um, now, mate, uh, maybe just to kick us off, uh, and to everyone who's joining us here tonight, maybe just tell us, I suppose, a little bit about uh, Section 28 and yourself and, and how you came to be making incredible cheese in the Adelaide Hills. Um, so Section 28, the name, um, just for, for everyone, is uh, the name of my family farm over on the West Coast, um, Air Peninsula in South Australia. But really, um, I've... I've Travelled quite a bit, had the good fortune of working overseas and spending quite a t- bit of time in France and Italy and loved it and loved how um, cheese in those areas was a real representation of the place, the village, the people. Um, and that, I found that really inspiring. So after, um, you know, misspent youth, shall we say, 20 years in investment <laughs> banking, decided to, uh, decided to see whether um, I could pursue that passion. So, uh, and, and figured if I was going to do it, um, go out on a limb and just make alpine-style cheeses. They're the, they're the type of cheeses I'm particularly passionate about. So that's that's how we fell into – I fell into cheesemaking. Uh, and you can imagine the conversation, uh, Joe, my wife, who is 100% on board and, and a partner in this, but you can imagine the conversation with her when she's like, you want to do what? So <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Oh, yes, uh, I, uh, I, I can I imagine <laughs> I know what you mean. Uh, I should say as well for everybody who's watching uh, tonight and shooting in, if you've got any questions, please uh, uh, post them through in the chat. Uh, we'll almost certainly get to it. Um, but, Kim, this is the question that I've been asking everybody. Uh, it's such an easy question to start with too as a caveat. Um, and obviously this month's entirely all about 
raw milk cheese uh, in, in particular in Australia. Why don't you tell us what is raw milk cheese and why should we care about it? Look, I, I think it's a, it's a really good question because there is, and we're seeing more and more differentiations and um, different ways of describing raw milk cheese. For me, is the milk that you're using at the start of the process pasteurised or not? Um, and if it is not pasteurised, it's a raw milk cheese. From then on, it's about what the cheesemaker does with it. Um, and it's and, and the reason I think that's really important um, for me, for us, is uh, because it is probably, it's a bit like natural, natural fermented wines, naturally fermented wines. It actually captures the skill of the cheesemaker, represents the best skill of the cheesemaker. Um, it also, and, and if you have a highly skilled cheesemaker, it should best represent the milk on that day. I, I would say, as a, just as a, something totally controversial, um, I wouldn't always say that raw milk cheese is always the best cheese, but I would say it is the best reflection of the milk on that day. You see, that's a, it's a really good point that we've always been looking to explore, and it is. It's like a, a differentiation, and we, um, you talk about naturally fermented wines. It's uh, just because something is one thing, it doesn't necessarily mean you might prefer it. And I think it's that whole exploration of flavour and taste uh, and and Caspo's character of cheese is that uh, you know do or do well how do you differentiate the flavour differences from say raw milk cheese versus say more pasteurised you know is there is there, a, yeah. is there a character that you see or is it uh, is it an amplification or is it a subtlety well I I actually think it's a it's a there isn't a single answer and I'll explain why I say that. So we, we, we have, we make raw milk, a couple of raw milk cheeses and we have chosen, to, we have made a couple of uh, cheeses that are now use pasteurized milk. We made them as raw milk, but we've gone back to using pasteurized milk in those instances. So in the ones that we've kept as raw milk cheeses, what we find is the upfront flavor profile isn't necessarily a significantly, isn't significantly different to um, the upfront flavour profile of a pasteurised cheese. Now, the, and, and we, we have the luxury of, through our testing process, of actually doing um, parallel trials over the course of the yeah. year. Uh, and we've done that consistently. And what we find is consistently, there's not a significant difference. It might be the upfront flavour might be five or 10% more vibrant, just a, a little bit clearer more than anything. Not, and you would not notice it um, unless, and, and even I, who know the cheeses fairly well, wouldn't notice it unless I tried them side by side. Um, but what we do find is after about three to four minutes of that flavour developing in your mouth, it goes through a couple of transitions. And in the pasteurised, it sort of gets to about two and a half, three minutes and just drops off and it just ceases. So you end up with a kind of nice mouthfeel, but no flavour in there. But what we find right. in the pasta, sorry, in the raw milk cheese, um, we get a really interesting, in, in the ones that we have kept on, we get this interesting development of um, umami or nuttiness or Vegemite flavours that aren't as pronounced up front um, and sort of evolve a little bit in the pasteurised but then don't continue that evolution. So it's more a length of flavour. Now, bear in mind, yep. this is, the average person's not going to sit with a piece of cheese in their mouth and I wouldn't expect them to, I would um, to sit in their mouth for five to six minutes to see whether that flavour is going to develop. That's why I think sometimes the whole raw, non-raw argument 
people get tied up in up in knots when it's actually what do you prefer? Do you prefer it like that? Do you want to taste it for five or six minutes? So that's on that's on the cheeses we've kept. An interesting counter to that is we we um, our Mont Priscilla we use pasteurised milk. It's made in the style of a um, um, a Morbier, and what we found was consistently in that that in in with pasteurised milk it goes through this really nice transition from we call it the taste of um, the Adelaide Hills in the summer times. It goes through a really nice transition from uh, dry grass, you know, sweet hay, fresh cut hay, through a little bit of funky um, mushroomy umami, and then a really nice clean citrus finish at the end. And that, because it's uh, pasteurised milk, that that takes about a minute and a half, two minutes. What we found yep. with the with the raw milk when we made it in raw milk um, is halfway through that process, you go, you know, really nice. Um, sweet hay, fresh grass, and then you've got this a little bit of uh, mushroom come in and then a massive spike of cabbage, um, which which is really common. That's why I think, and, and then it goes on to the, the citrus flavour, but you're kind of like, oh, that's lovely, that's fantastic. Oh, what's that? And the, and for us, that that transition, while it might be a truer, reflect, truer in, in inverted commas, reflection of the milk, it's actually not the experience we want our customers to have while they're eating our cheese. Mm. So we've actually gone back to pasteurised milk for that. So I think I think it's a really interesting yeah. question. Personally, and this is just, you know, I'm a survey of one, I think the greatest benefit for raw versus pasteurised would come if we were able to make soft ripens with raw milk cheese, like a, a, a Camembert de Normandy or a Brie de Mier, um, but make them with raw milk. But unfortunately, that that's where you would really, really notice because that's where the, yeah. the cabbage and the cauliflower notes would be really accentuated. Um, and you'd be going, and, and I've done that um, parallel tasting in France, and you, you, they're two different cheeses, totally different cheeses. And they're not, they're not subtly different in where you're looking for it. It's like, boom. Um, so, yeah, yeah, I think that's why it's a, it's, a, it's a long-winded answer to a very short question, but it's not as simple and cut and dried as it might think. But it is, and is it? And that's the thing in Australia. This, uh, what, this, this series of conversations that we've been having, talking about um, the evolution of, I suppose, styles of uh, raw milk cheese in Australia. And obviously, uh, we we were chatting with uh, Will Stard and, and Nick Haddo on Tuesday, um, just a couple of yep. days ago, uh, talking about how cooked. Uh, you know, his first one was a cooked raw milk cheese, and now the Tom yep. de Valet that we've got here is this. This is a is this a cook this is cooked cheese or how do you yeah. how do you yeah. describe this yeah and this is where we come back to that you know people are now starting to talk about is it cooked or uncooked it's and and I for me if it's you not using what does that mean? milk yeah well it just means you've heated the you've heated the the um you've heated the curd after you've added the after you've cut it so after you've added the rennet and the cultures you've heated the curd um, by a certain amount what Effectively, that means is you're getting a thermization. So a comté yep. or a gruyere is a is a cooked curd, or is it, it's it's used a semi thermized. It's a semi thermized uh, process. So there are yep. different, but really, and I think we sometimes do ourselves a disservice in talking about these things as as being a, a differentiation between um, cooked and uncooked or raw and and semi-raw where um so but as as a cook curd so we cook our tom de valet uh, we we heat the curd like 
in a pasteurized or, or an uncooked, you might heat the curd to 35, 38 degrees, depending on what sort of yep. um, cultures you want to activate. We, um, we cook ours to 48 degrees, which basically means all of the mesophiles, all of the um, low temperature cultures are killed. And it's only the thermophiles and the high temperature cultures that remain uh, yep. in that process. Then, so for the Tom de Valet, how long does this then mature before it gets to us? And the second part of that question would be, how long can that, um, does that further develop flavour with age? Or is there sort of a, a window of opportunity of, of, of richness or flavour? Yeah, really, both really good questions. So um, from a regulatory perspective, if you're making a cooked curd cheese in Australia, um, you need to actually don't think about it. A regulatory perspective from a raw, raw milk in Australia needs to be aged for a minimum of 120 days um, before it can be released to the public. We find that the Tom de Valet is best at about six months, six to seven months. Yeah. Um, so we release it at between 180 and 200 days. We we think that, and the reason we release it there, there's um, there's an element of commercial reality the longer so for the um every six months it sits in a cave for us it costs about five dollars a kilo in terms of the because it's been washed and turned twice a week um but we also find that after about nine months eight to nine months it that, that vibrancy that you get the vibrancy and the freshness of you still get a milk flavor you get the milk flavor up front a, a freshness of um uh, you know, a, a, like the grassiness, a little bit of grassiness. At the yeah. back end, you get the nutty umami flavour. Now, what we find is after about nine to nine to twelve months, you lose yeah. that. Certainly, at nine months, you lose that milky freshness, uh, that milkiness. So you don't get the the hint of milk. Mm. Um, and after about twelve months, you get an earthy, like um, not dirty, but a an earthen forest all sort of flavor that comes through yeah which actually for us means it's a very different cheese at that point um not not a bad cheese it just means what we set out to create yeah it's always I always find that interesting and and what i've enjoyed most about the, the collective of actually having an opportunity to see how some cheese ages over you know a period of time um and i think mm. that's uh you know been been fascinating um let's say oh hi olivia from harper and blom she's just tuned in hi how are you going um i'm sure she's got some amazing questions um and, and it's always Good. it's having access to that you know it's being able to see cheese uh evolve uh and and change over the period of time and again trying to find that that you know that that right window of style that uh, that gives you, you know, that <laughs> I suppose the idea of what that pleasure is. And then, but saying that, because I've tried uh, some of your uh, Monforte, um, some aged Monforte, yeah. which literally just <laughs> blew my mind. Um, mm. And, but again, it's the, it's uh, trying to find that balance between, you know, that, you know, that extra level of, of richness that may be, can, can be confronting to, to some people, but at the same time, like, you know, cheese junkies and flavor, flavor nerds like myself, just, seek and crave um it's yeah, it's, and, yeah and I, that balance of all it's it's a really good it's a really good example with the with the Montforte. it's a really good example where we find like that we, we release it around 12 months at the moment it's a raw milk cheese as well we find yeah. that's a good real balance and philosophically we we believe that 
in section 28, we believe sort of 40% of the work's done by the dairy farmer. So 40% of our work is done before we even pick up the milk. And then we shepherd it through the, um, the production process and then we do a lot of work in the affinage. So we want to release a cheese to the, the public who can, um, that can, uh, yeah, thanks, Scylla. Scylla uh, uh, is saying that Monforte <laughs> should be a class A drug. Uh, very kind. Um, but uh, we, we release it to the, um, we release it to the public when we think there's that really nice balance, 40% of, of the, the freshness of the milk and the work. So it's a good reflection of the, the, the partnership we have with our dairy farmer. With our Grand Reserve, yep. we keep that for, for out, out to two years and, and you lose a lot of that freshness up front. So at two years, it's just all, it's all about, it's ego. It's all about us and our work. And, um, and it's a really different. Yep. And I, I've got one in the cave at the years old um so it's one of the first ones i did and i've taken a plug of that and, um it's awful i'll be honest it's it tastes <laughs> like um uh, uh it it tastes like dirt or well, in fact a good example the best example we've said cacao chocolate and um, it's it's okay and and earthy yeah. um that's the Monforte at five years. I, no one would pay for it, but it's an interesting process to continue to go through and just see how that changes, how it evolves. I think that's an exercise, isn't it? And that's, I think that's why, uh, again, part of these conversations around raw milk cheese is to uh, have these things like how, how far can we go you know, in, in Australian cheese? And I think that's the thing that's, that's really exciting me. And, yeah, so we started off with these with, – let's say cooked curd, raw milk cheese like C2 and the Monforte to these uh, uncooked, you know, with, with pakoras doing their, you know, we've got their amazing federine and then mm. from country. And you hinted before about uh, soft and washed rind and, um, and, uh, and I, my, my uncle from Cora was doing some, you're looking at blue cheese. Um, you know, they, it's like, <laughs> and I've said this all along, like uh, Australian cheese for me has never been more interesting and never been more flavoursome. Uh, and it's like, how, like, do we have an opportunity to really go, you know, does raw milk, I suppose, give cheesemakers the opportunity to really dive into the nuances and, and subtleties of, of flavour in their farm? Yeah. And I you think know, that, can that they do that? I mean, if, very, given the ability to my, do that. Yeah. Well, I, I think my very first comment was, what it does, it gives you the ability, it, it really demonstrates the skill of a cheesemaker. So the cheesemakers that are doing, yeah. like, uh, you know, uh, Michael is, um, the guys, the Yarrawa is an amazing cheese and that really demonstrates Michael's skill. And then um, Bert with his, with his uh, uh, cheese from Prom Country, that demonstrates the skill of him as a cheesemaker uh, and also the quality of their milk as well. Um, so I think that's what's exciting. So um, it moves those cheesemakers. It's not to say if you don't make raw milk cheese, you're not a good cheesemaker because it takes a, a totally different skill set to run a, a significant that's, industrial yeah. cheesemaking totally. process. But what it does do, it really gives those... And I think I've been really, yeah, talented, sorry. Like, Okay. Yeah. Uh, no, no. So I, I, I agree. You know, I agree with you. And again, this whole point is like saying it's one thing is being very aware of saying the position of, you know, one thing is better than the other. And from a, I mean, I'm familiar by trade, so it always 
yeah. um, for me, I rem rem remind myself of, well, natural wine is, you know, this is this and then therefore everything else is bad. It's like that's not the conversation. The conversation is like, look, let's let's explore the boundaries and let's see how far we can go and let's let's just go on a flavour journey and, and, and at the end of the day, you know, discover what you like. Um, and I think that's the, the, the big thing for me is it's, it's not about saying one thing is better than the other, but it's very much about, you know, what, what do you prefer and what opportunities uh, that we have. Is there one type of raw milk cheese that you want to make but can't make right now? Yeah, I, I would love, I would love to make a Roblechon. Um, nice. You know, the classic French Roblechon. Um, I don't think I personally. I'm, I'm not sure in my. And what type life, of cheese? Let's just say, what type of cheese is that? We're talking. Uh, it, it's a it's a small uh, washed rind. Um, really, really, and and the, the most awesome thing about that is you take um, like the way you eat a roblechon is in a tartie flat usually, and you take scallop potatoes. You just put them in a pan. You cut the roblechon in half and put the entire thing in the oven. It's just brilliant. Um, and it's like you literally, as you as you eat it, you feel your arteries harden. But um, <laughs> it's it's and it's also a cheese. It's French. Um, it's from the the, uh, the eastern parts of France. It's it's sort of based on the the Trappist um, monastery style cheeses. It has that sort of heritage, and it's just one of those really classic cheeses. That again, it comes back to when it's well made, you really taste the talent of the cheesemaker. Um, mm. And when it's made with good, good milk, you really taste the quality of the milk. Um, yeah. I would love to be able to make that and sell that regularly in Australia. And look, let's just touch on uh, regulations for, for a second and, and regulatory bodies. Um, obviously we can't um, make, uh, well, it's not permissible at the moment to make a raw milk blue cheese at the moment. How far away do you think we are from you being able to make this type of cheese? I'm not sure, well, you know, without wanting to be a downer, I'm not sure I'll see in my cheesemaking lifetime, I'm not really? sure I'll see us. Look, I, I don't know. You never say never. It really, the, the challenge we have is, um, uh, the biggest challenge I think is, is we really struggle to have a non-emotive conversation or debate with the regulator and the general public um about raw milk cheese and yep. when we can actually have that non-emotive debate then it's a no-brainer having said that uh, i would say roblechon is probably the, one of the most risky raw milk cheeses there are because it's a washed rind and the and in fact the the roblechon um I've, I've spoken to a couple of roblechon producers and they are more tested than any other type of cheese uh, mm. a cooperative in in the world they say i don't know how, how verifiable that is but they also say the thing about it is it's a petri dish for 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 pathogenic microbes um the style of cheese is exactly what you want if you wanted to grow the wrong kind of microbes that's what you do so roblechon's probably not one that i'd lead with in the argument to get the regulator to look at um, uh, getting a, a broader broader range of cheeses able to be made. But um, look, I, look, I think if we can, you know, the work that you're doing through the Mould Collective, the work that um, Burke and Michael have done in, in terms of getting, you know, pioneering those, um, those 
uncooked raw milk cheeses have been outstanding is outstanding and and we we owe a huge debt of gratitude to them um and you know that those those that if we can move from that emotive you know raw's bad or raw's good to actually there are there are some cheeses that are risky and some cheeses that are not risky. And one of those risks is how the milk is treated before the cheese making process starts. That's a different conversation. Yeah. And that's, that's sort of been, um, you know, you know, general, you know, themes that we've got here is, and I think it's when you've got these, when we're talking about Pecora and, you know, yourself and this, this connection to farming and milking and looking and, you know, even, you know, Nick Danny Bruni and all these small, let's say, I mean, micro dairies really is kind yeah. of what we're talking yeah. about is that having that attention to detail and care and nurturing of, uh, of getting the product right, getting the milk right, um, mm. to then be able to translate that. There's, there's I suppose, there's, there's more, more protective, um, uh, <laughs> you know, making process there with raw milk than, say, than other potential other factors. Um, and I've got a really interesting uh, question here from Springlay and, Great question. It's a link to um, looking into wines. Like in the land of wine, uh, we celebra celebrate uh, very little intervention slash winemaking required, you know, with great fruit. Does the same apply with raw milk and cheese? Um, you know, I think that's, you know, referring to, um, you know, uh, oh God, was yeah, I suppose once you've got a really great product, uh, do you have to do much to it? Um, look, I, I, I'd make two comments. Um, one is, uh, I, when it, before I started, when I was first thinking about it, I had an old older guy in Italy where we were living say, um, uh, you know, you can make great wine, you can't make good wine with good grapes, uh, and you can't make good cheese. Uh, sorry, you can't make good wine with shit grapes, and you can't make good cheese with shit milk. So. As a, as a cover, a catch-all, absolutely, that's right. Um, I think the other thing is a, a really talented cheese cheesemaker will understand the, the nuances of the, the milk on that day, and it changes every day, and then they are effectively shepherds. So you're, you're, you are then a shepherd of microbes, be it and, and your choice of uh, cultures to add or your choice of rennet to add or your process technique is shepherding those from a liquid form to a um, physical form that you ultimately sell to the to sell to the um, sell to the consumer so great cheesemaker is a shepherd of the core essence of that milk all the way through the cheese making process so yeah absolutely and if that if that's the definition for me that's the definition of a great cheese maker if that's the definition of a great cheese maker and you start with terrible milk it's dirty or it's 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 tainted or whatever then yeah. a great cheese maker will shepherd that taint and that dirt all the way through and you end up with a, a dreadful cheese and it won't be anything yeah. to do with the cheese maker yeah it's such a yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it's funny looking at so the wine thing is that, you know, so I've seen, I've seen pretty bad grapes turn into okay wine. Um, but, but yeah, I think it's that, and I suppose when we're talking about the concept of terroir, really, it's that idea mm. of, of, um, of telling a narrative around what has happened to that cheese uh, or that milk, which relates back to, to the animal and the season, uh, which is then articulated into, um, into a final product. You sort of touched on something there, which I wouldn't mind going uh, hinting on. And this is we're talking about cultures. 
uh, and this is something that I'm uh, after the number of conversations that we're having. I mean, with with cultures. I mean, do you use, have your own cultures, or do you use? I mean, where, where are these cultures from, and what sort of impact do you see them having on the cheese making process? Um, so, answering the first part of the question first, uh, uh, the we imp- the only the only cultures you can we don't have any. Um, native cultures in Australia. We don't have a culture yeah. manufacturer in Australia. And there is a, um, a general reluctance to approve a process that sees you capturing the, the cultures from the previous make and, um, and continuing to use it. So we, we, use a, we use a direct back inoculation method. Um, we find that gives us, because the, the other two, two reasons that um, the regulator doesn't like it because it introduces a significant element of risk. Um, from a cheesemaker's perspective, as much as the market talks about loving um, raw milk cheese, the tolerance um, making a mess of it, which is what the risk that you do um, if you're using something from the day before, uh, is zero. So you need consistency and you need to be able to control that process. So that's the reason most cheesemakers use um, a, a prepackaged um, culture. In, in answer to how much difference does it make, how much difference does that culture make to the end cheese? 100%. I, I, could, make a, I could make two cheeses, exactly the same process, using two very different culture mixes, and they would be poles apart, materially different. So the hesitation with regulators to not, I suppose, I suppose my question there is like, you know, what is truly amazing Australian cheese? We're talking about the importance of milk and we're talking about the importance of um, uh, seeing the, the story of that milk all the way through. And then we're introducing a, a culture um, that, as you said, can, can talk about that, that flavour. Which So what, what is the hesitation, you know, with regulatory bo- uh, bodies about creating, you know, I suppose an Australian culture um, here? It's, you know, is that... I think I think is it that, that uh, look, yeah, look, it's it's and that's a, that's so, a very naive question as well. Yeah, I and I, I should I should qualify what I say in terms of saying you can choose cultures that make very different cheeses, but most of the raw milk cheeses that we, you're talking about today, Australian raw milk cheeses, have minimum cultural input. So you use a, a an acidification okay. culture, which gives you an acid drop doesn't actually add any flavour to the cheese or, or it doesn't have to. It really depends on the choice. And certainly the ones we use, they don't, all they do is they give us an acidification, which gives us right. the ability to control that acidification process, which enables the existing um, uh, naturally occurring or, or, um, organisms to grow and flourish without being sort of captured by other other issues. So yeah. that's that's the way we make our raw milk cheese, which is really the minimum intervention that you're talking about. It's not no yeah. intervention, it's minimum. Um, yeah. But the reason the regulator has a they used to call it backslopping, um, which was and that was the old the old technique. I mean and, and again, one oh one of branding, terrible name. Anyone, I, exactly. I just can't get my head around it. Um, but that, that's what they used to use it. And all of our cheddar used to be um, used to be produced using a backslot technique, where you would take a little bit of whey from yesterday's milk, you would sit it in a bucket overnight, you'd culture it up, and then you tip that back into the uh, uh, into the into the vat of fresh milk the next morning. And in France, so Comte they do that. It, 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 actually, all over the world. Um, 
in in in, in the old world they they do they use that technique really successfully but the, the biggest issue is if you you can imagine so um you might have a one pathogenic risky bacteria in that bucket um just because yeah. for whatever reason you know however it got there it doesn't matter but that one overnight multiplies into a factor of you know 10 10,000 so it's on a logarithmic scale you then put that in a vat and suddenly it goes from being you can consume that cheese from yesterday and it's not not an issue because it was one in one in you know 25,000 liters of milk suddenly you've got 25 million in 25,000 liters of milk and that'll make someone sick so that's the regulatory yep. risk or that's that's the yep. that's the risk and if you don't have really tight controls um, between putting it in the bucket and tipping it into your vat. And really the only way you can do that is by doing um, microbial testing that takes longer than 24 hours anyway. Uh, you have real challenges with 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 um, uh, protection of the consumer. So that's the regulatory challenge. Gotcha, yeah. That, and that, and that, that, they, sorry, that's in fact they called it back, backslopping. <laughs> what were they thinking? Oh, a terrible name! A terrible name. Um, that thank you, um, thanks, Kim. That actually makes a lot of sense. And again, I'm, I think Spring Lane, if you're still there, uh, that that would bring, that would make a lot of sense. You know, you get one bad uh, bacteria, one bad yeast in there, can completely spoil, you know, an entire batch and um, uh, throughout that entire part. So, um, what's uh, I guess say it's been a bit of a bit of a wild year, um, 2020. Uh, how how are you? How have you been going? Um, how yeah? How are you? <laughs> yeah, look, I I think um, how are we? It's a really good question. It, it has been a wild year. Um, I would say, <laughs> I would say, so we we turned five this year. In fact, we turned five only a couple of weeks ago. Um, I would say the last five years have been mental for us. But you, you expect yeah. it to be mental, and you expect year five to start to settle down and. And oh my good, it hasn't settled at all. So we we started with the bushfires at the end of last year. Um, fortunately, our, our dairy farm was impacted, but we the factory wasn't. Fortunately, but that that had some some challenges. And then COVID, um, you know, there were there were moments there where I looked at it and thought, Do you know what, um, we've had a crack. And if what sinks us is a global pandemic, it'll make a good story, grandchildren. Um, but fortunately, we, we've been yeah, well, we've been really well supported by the likes of of Mold. So, you know, without underplaying it, we wouldn't have survived without um, the Mold Collective. You know, we we wouldn't have made it through. We wouldn't have met met our wages bill on a couple of occasions without that. So I, I can't thank you and the, the mould members enough for that support. Um, it's going to be really interesting as things re return to some semblance of normal, whether people have, whether there has been a, a genuine shift in understanding and demand for Australian cheese. I kind of hope there has been, or will we go back to, you know, previously where, you know, Sounds a bit like um, the Australian Australian cheese is sort of a pillar of last resort or a product of last resort. You you do it every now and then, but it's yeah. Hope that uh, I hope that 
you know, that I, I was listening to a, a conversation podcast from the ABC and they said that the thing about, they were talking about it in different contexts, but they said the thing about a crisis is it accelerates a trend rather than creates a trend. And I, I hope that yeah. this crisis has accelerated that trend for us. Yeah. Uh, fuck yes. Uh, <laughs> is pretty much what I can say. Can I swear? It's, it's my yeah, podcast. I'll do what I want. Yeah, it's your podcast. I, I think... I think you're so right, and, I, and this is something that I really hope we've all seen, is that um, it, it's important to, that's why I asked you about COVID, and, and going back to that point of, you know, bushfires. There were unprecedented bushfires at the start of this year. And then to go into that, to head first into a global pandemic, uh, is just staggering. And I, what, I, you know, coming out of just before COVID, and we already started to see it, uh, was, was this uh, amazing uh, support from the community to uh, look up, thinking, thinking about where they're putting their food dollars. And, they re and yeah. it really matters. And I, I, again, I, and to see those sort of trends happening um, really back there from bushfires, which is incredible. Uh, and then obviously the, the, the hit, of, uh, hit of COVID. And I, but I think, I think you're right there. There's this, I think we tend to be at times, and this, this goes for cheese, this goes for food, or just in generally Australia, we, we, are, we tend to be apologetic about our Australianness. And I think, I hope, if anything, out of this entire conflict is that we should be unapologetically Australian in regards to uh, the cheese that we make. The cheese that we make here is absolutely world-class. Uh, it is absolutely fantastic and we should celebrate it and champion it uh, and seek it wherever it is. And we've been very grateful through Mole, but you've got incredible people like Olivia at Harper and Bloom and, you know, all these amazing cheesemongers have been pushing and, and celebrating great cheese that if anything we should do now is just amplify it and turn it up. And I think we at the start we are saying, if you get it from us, awesome, but get it from somebody else. Great. As long as you're buying, as long as you're supporting an Australian producer, uh, it's yeah, that's the key. Yeah, absolutely. Sorry, that was a bit of my rant. <laughs> no, no, no. And I, I, I completely agree. I think, I think you know, we we don't expect people to buy our cheese because it's Australian. So we expect people to buy our cheese because it's outstanding, outstanding, and comparable to anything else. So we don't expect. We hope people buy it. Um, we would love them to buy it um, because it's outstanding in comparison to, to all other uh, comparable mm. cheeses. And I think possibly what's happened is you can't have that dialogue until someone actually tries it. So that's been the amazing thing is to see people going, oh, hang on. So we, we have a raw milk feta that's amazing. We've got a raw milk, uh, you know, pakora, um, you know, a, a, a raw milk osserati style that's brilliant. We've got a, you know, we've got, Wash Ryan's coming in from Southern Queensland that's outstanding, et cetera, et cetera. And, and that, that's brilliant because people are not saying I'm buying it because I'm parochial and it's the, you mm. know, it's, it's not Paul Hogan's three shrimps on a Barbie type thing. It's actually, shit, this is good. And, yeah. you know, this, you know, every now and then we can do something fancy and, and show off and, and, and have a, you know, 10 year old, uh, uh, um, Parmigiano Reggiano because it looks cool when you open it, but we don't have to um, go offshore to buy good cheese. And I think that hopefully that 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 is now becoming better understood. I uh, I agree. You know there is no doubt in my mind 
that France makes the best French cheese in the world. Yep. <laughs> and Australia yep. makes the best Australian cheese in the world. And I think that's a good thing. I think, again, I, I, I can't help but bring up, you know, this element of wine. It's like, yeah, it is that, you know, it, it is unique. It is special. And uh, I think as part of this entire month of having conversations and of exploring where Australian cheese is going, especially in regards to raw milk, is insanely exciting. Uh, and I feel like, you know, we're, we're in this, this next level. And I refer back to, you know, we were chatting with Will Stud on Tuesday and, and I've had multiple conversations with him about it. And it's like, well, you know, with his push for raw milk, it's like, it's like, I was kind of said to him, he's like, is this, did you have the right idea at the wrong time? You know, if you pushed this, you know, or did we have to have that, you know, that conflict and that push then to open everyone's mind to go, actually, you know what, maybe we could go down this road mm-hmm. and, and, and pave the way. And I, I, I can't help but get the feeling that we're on the verge of like another growth period of exploration of what great Australian cheese is if we allow cheese makers to create and make cheese to the absolute best of their ability. And if that's, if raw milk cheese is a lens for that, then that can only be a good thing, surely. Yeah. I, I, I think two things. One is without Will's work 20, 25, 30 years ago, we wouldn't be having this conversation today. Yeah. So you, you had to go through that process to get to this point. It, we, we are... We are still a tweenager, if not a, we're not quite an infant, but we're somewhere between childhood and teenager um, in in the Australian cheese market, um, and we're certainly not 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 a teenager yet, and we're not into our twenties or thirties by any stretch. Yes. So you've got to go through that development um, as a starting point, um, and 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 the work that Will did, you know. Putting, you know, getting the hearse for the for the rock and all that. You know, we we wouldn't we wouldn't even have that conversation now. Um, I think what it is, it's again to that that earlier comment about intelligent conversations, intelligent, non-political, non-emotive conversations about making high-quality product. And if that is being had at a at, at a producer level, at a distributor and retailer and food service level, but also being understood and had at a consumer level. At the end of the day, five or 10 or 15 producers are not going to change the regulatory environment or the government environment. But if you have an upswell of consumers who are saying, actually, let's have a rational conversation about this and we'll abide by the decision after we've had that rational conversation, then that that's how we'll really get, uh, we'll get genuine sustainable long-term change well everybody who's tuning in for this you've got a job to do (laughs) let's uh i think let's get behind all these incredible cheese producers and let's champion uh their cause uh and seek them and ask these questions wherever you possibly can uh kim masters uh you are an absolute bloody legend um thank you so much for everything uh, that you do and the cheeses that you make. I mean, I can't believe it's only five years. Like, what what you've done in five years is staggering. Yeah. I, I, I really I find that amazing. In some ways it seems like it's passed in a blink in 
Yeah, in a bloody long five years. So be rest <laughs> assured. Um, it's like a duck, like a duck. And uh, oh my God, there are days where that duck is paddling like a like <laughs> like crazy. But yeah, look, we we we've been really blessed. I think I've said this before, um, Dan. We've been blessed with the support from from people who owe us nothing and have have chosen to throw significant. Uh, make make investment in us just in the way that they um, they support us, they buy our cheese, they offer us uh, um, advice. Even and and we we've been so humbled by that that it, it feels like the five years has not been my achievement or Joe's and my achievement at all. It's actually been a a, a genuine community effort. Mm. Um, I just I get to wear the brand and and. Uh, drink bk wine chat to you it's like happy days <laughs> oh mate uh the, the cheeses have always uh blown my mind at uh at the festivals uh, themselves and you know i don't mind a bit of adelaide hills uh it is uh absolutely amazing and now that uh melbourne is reopening uh and hopefully there's a hint of borders opening soon uh i'm looking forward to i'm hoping and I'm going to say this to everybody who's tuning in now, so, but I haven't even told my stuff yet. I'm starting to think about March next year that we can gather yeah. again uh, in, in a festival, uh, which would be absolutely amazing. Um, Kim, thank you so much. What an incredible chat to have this as the, as the, last, as the last one for part of a, a really amazing month, month celebrating raw milk cheese. To everybody who's been tuning in, uh, thank you so much for your comments and your support throughout the month. Let's get behind all these amazing Australian cheese producers and start uh, demanding and asking for fantastic uh, raw milk cheese here in Australia. Kim Masters, thank you so much. Uh, thank you, mate. absolute uh, legend. And to everyone else, we will speak to you very, very soon. Thank you all so much. Take care. Thank you so much to everyone for tuning in for the Mole Cheese Collective podcast. We're all about sharing the good word about the best cheesemakers in Australia. But of course, we'd love to hear from you as to what cheese you love, where it's from, and even better, your thoughts on this podcast. It would really mean a lot if you would leave a rating or a comment or just share it with your mates. We have a heap more interviews to come, so be sure to stay tuned. But until next time, cheers.